Okay, so Criterion Sale. I've, this is a blessing disguise that uh, I couldn't go until the very last moment because even though I only had about two or three days to do it all, I still wanted to do more. So I got 11, a total of 11 movies. And I'll just go ahead and start with this And one. we're going to discuss this these more in, in depth later on. Okay, sure. Uh, just to start, topsy-turvy. That's how I saw it. I just want to point out how lovely that cover is. You can go both ways. I was just, I was literally just looking at mine. <laughs> it's great. It's wonderful. It captures that duality. It's, a, it's, you know, when I saw this, I thought there was going to be more of that duality going on. And, you know, it is a movie about Gilbert and Sullivan, but it's about so many more people. It's still great. Uh, this one, which we'll also be discussing, The Red Shoes. One of those, uh, one of the more regrettable blind spots in my movie watching. Thought I'd finally go ahead. This one is I've one I've been eager to rewatch. Night of the Hunter. Mm. I've always wanted to get this one during the sale because it's one of those movies like Brazil that's $50 instead of $40. Which I'm not entirely sure why. I'm just going to assume there's a lot of features. I know Brazil was loaded. It, well, it's either that or or like rights or something. Or uh, restoration kind of thing. I don't know. Another one. I went with more movies I've already seen before. Uh, this one. Code Unknown. Uh, I very much... I really enjoy this. He's a very interesting man. This is an amazing movie. I want to know more about it. And speaking of movies that are more amazing with each watch, I got Mikey and Nikki, which wonderful movie. I'm eager for a rewatch of that. It is it is the Cassavetes movie I wish Cassavetes made. And it's great. Another one, uh, I got three uh, Powell and Pressburger movies. I got Colonel Blimp, Life and my death, favorites. Good stuff. My favorites, yes. And A Matter of Life and Death. As far as this one goes, Colonel Blimp is one of my favorite movies ever, as of now. Um, a Matter of Life and Death, I feel like when I saw it, I watched a free version on YouTube, and the quality was not great. I feel like that might have hindered a little bit of my enjoyment. It was very entertaining. I'm eager to watch it again. Um, Elevator to the Gallows. Mm. Never seen it. Um... I hear about a lot. I just learned recently it was the same director who did my dinner with Andre. It's interesting. And and what? And it the the music in Elevator to the Gallows is also was repurposed in Burning the Miles Davis solo. I think it was. Oh, okay. All right. Is this is Miles? It's a cool Davis, jazz score. Is Miles Davis the guy who did the score for Anatomy of a Murder as well? Let me check my criterion. Yes. Okay, that's what I thought. Duke Ellington. Duke Ellington, okay. Was I'm just racist. Uh, anatomy of Murder. No, I don't even know if it was Miles Davis. I just assumed. I'm sorry. This one? This is one I looked for. I went to three Barnes and Nobles, and I didn't find it. I found it Zia. Marriage Story. Mm-hmm. I, did, I only planned on getting 10. This is the 11th, um, and I didn't know I was going to get this. I just saw it at Zia. It was priced off a bit. It was only $24. Uh, I had to. I love this movie. It's amazing. Very excited to look it, through those. I was hesitant. I really wanted to get it, but I was hesitant because it's on Netflix. Yeah. And I just recently watched it. But with that being said, it's got some really great bonus features. So it does. I will get it eventually. Well, the other one was Army of Shadows, mm. which I got solely based on your recommendation. So I'll watch it here soon and we can talk about it. Well, if you liked Lay Samurai, you, you won't go too far off with that. Okay, there we go. 
And this new one, um, this is a new tradition I'm getting ever since I got the blind buy, I think last year, maybe it was the year before, where I just blind buy something that seems kind of morbid. The first thing I got was the Spanish film by the name of The Executioner. I turned out to really like that, so I thought I'd turn this into a tradition. And this time I got Nagisa Oshima's Death by Hanging. Ah. Which, I don't know what it's about. I just thought the cover was interesting. There you go. And that's everything I got. And we will, eventually we're going to check in with all of these blind buys specifically about what we thought about them and just do kind of a, an episode about more in depth about mm-hmm. these new films that we've bought. Uh, would you like me to just finish out what I, what I got in the sale? Sure, go for it. While, the, while we're here? Okay, so I got 12 Angry Men. Classic. Classic. I haven't seen it in a while, and it just it was calling out to me, and I was like, hey, it looks great. Great criterion. Why not? Mm. I got breathless because I was in a Godard mood. Oh, and no. It, it was nice. It had features. If it didn't have bonus features, I wouldn't have gotten it. Um, so I got it more for the behind the scenes stuff than I did for the film, but I do need to rewatch it now that I have new thoughts on the, on the man. Uh, I got a face in the crowd, which is a film I haven't seen in four years. It was one of the films I watched in film history back in freshman year of college. Really liked it. Been meaning to buy it for a while. Is it Hitchcock? A face in the crowd. No, it's, uh, Elia Kazan. Oh, okay. That's right. That's right. Okay. I got Rebecca, the Hitchcock film. Mm Mm-hmm. Another movie I haven't seen for a while. Looking forward to rewatching that. I got Letter Never Sent, which is by the same director as Soy Cuba and The Cranes Are Flying. That's one of the the film one of the criterions that's only 30 bucks normally, so it's $15. So it's like, yeah. It doesn't count. It's so cheap. <laughs> I got the the complete you already know this, but I'm not sure I, I said it on the podcast. I got the complete Jacques Tati set. Yes, going through. Very jealous. I got a woman on the verge. Woman on the verge of a nervous breakdown. I've seen one other Pedro Almodovar film. I liked it, and I wanted to. Get Isn't that the more. Uh, the prequel to A Woman Under the Influence? I don't know. Maybe <laughs> it's not the one of the people. One of the employees at Barnes and Noble. I we struck up a conversation because she was apparently also into Criterion. And she mentioned that she really liked uh, Almodovar and she recommended that one. And I was like, hey, I'll take a, a leap of faith and, and blind buy it. Why not? There you go. I still have more. I spent too much oh, money this month, Chandler. A bit, but it's fine. It's fine. It happens. I got, yeah, the ironically Sullivan's Travels, which uh, Preston Sturges which ironically just was added to the Criterion channel. I didn't know that when I bought it, but <laughs> I bought it mostly because it wasn't on there. Mm-hmm. But it has some great uh, bonus features, like a commentary with Noah Baumbach, Christopher Guest, and Michael McKean. That so is an interesting that combination is mainly of people. Why, yeah, that's why I bought it. It has an interesting uh, commentary. Ooh. I bought Pale Flower by Mas- Masahiro Shinoda. The, the last one I got was... The Immigrants, The New Land, two films by Jan Troll. Uh, this is one Jan of those 50-buck uh, double film, and it looked interesting. It's another blind buy. A lot of these are blind buys. Hmm. I'm, I'm curious. They're also both over three hours, and as we know, I have a thing for long films. So, curious. Yeah, you do. You do. I don't know. After, after watching Elephant Sitting Still, everything seems so tame to me. 
<laughs> I, I just I popped in topsy turvy on a whim. I'm like two hours and forty minutes. That's nothing. Come on, I can do that. It's I think it's like twenty seven films that I, <laughs> including the the Bergman set. Oh no, that's a bit. That's a bit much. I'm really that's happy with a lot of them though. Well, as long as you're happy. That's the thing. You know, some people have crazy collection things. You know, things that they spend money on. These are these are entertaining. Something like Topsy Turvy is life affirming, and they're also very educational. Mm. So, are they bad purchases? Yeah, who's to say? I I am simultaneously guilty and really happy with myself. Same. So, on the whole, I think it's a net positive. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of Chandler's blind buys was the Michael Palin Emmerich Pressburger 1948 film The Red Shoes, which is starring Anton Walbrook. Marius Goring and Moira Shearer, and it is about a ballerina who is a, a, it is about an up and coming ballerina mm-hmm. who is found by a Boris Lermontov who is this director of this theater of this uh, ballet troupe, and he thinks that she's going to be a star and kind of grooms her, and the kind of the conflict between personal life and art and everything in between. This is a film that I've seen before and Chandler has not. Chandler, what did you think of The Red Shoes? Well, similarly to Mike Lee and Jim Jarmusch, this year has been a a year of immense discovery as far as some of my now favorite directors, and Powell and Pressburger are one of them. And this was incredible. It deserves all the acclaim. Um, It is what I enjoy most about their movies is that they are just so unafraid to get fantastical. This one, especially with the, you know, famous 20 minute ballet scene. But I just love the set design, the costumes. I love that the outdoors, they have very clearly constructed sound stages that they just treat as if they were real and not in a like a, a, a cheap kind of way. They, they're just in love with the the magic of filmmaking. And this one, more than any of the other movies from them I've seen, exemplified that. And it was wonderful. It was surprisingly heartbreaking. Tragic, even. I had no idea what this movie was about. All I knew was that it was... All I knew about was the 20-minute scene, the ballet scene. For some reason, I was under the impression that this was a largely like surreal movie. That it was, I didn't know it was like a character drama as well. So I was surprised to see that stuff sort of creep in. But these movies, their movies are just so impeccably written and performed and designed and shot that they're kind of some of the best filmmakers of all time. What an interesting episode we have here. Because we just talked about Topsy Turvy <laughs> and I think The Red Shoes is a, a very, it's a good film to do like a double feature if you wanted to, because mm-hmm. they're both about the behind the scenes of creation of ballet and of opera, respectively. Mm-hmm. And like you just said, Michael Pal and Emmerich Pressburger are some of the most like low key, great filmmakers. And I was thinking about Stanley Kubrick, who we're going to talk about in a little bit, how he is a very kind of clinical director. Yeah, that. His films feel very precise, like everything is exactly where that man wanted it to be. No more and no less. 
And Michael Powell and Emmerich Pressburger feel like a much more, I almost want to say they're on like the same level as Kubrick, but on a much more kind of emotion-based Personally, yeah. filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Feels more personal, feels more alive. And not necessarily, that's not necessarily negative towards either of them. I'm just saying it's that's, different approaches. that's how I would describe it. Yeah. Yes. Very different approaches and both excellent filmmakers. And I, I almost want to frame this conversation as you said, it's, it's very highly regarded. And this is one of the few films that is so highly regarded that I think is not yet highly regarded enough. <laughs> Because for some goddamn reason, it is not on the BFI top 100 list. And this is going to be our first installment of why the fuck did they not put it on this list? Yeah. You know, the the other movies, you know, I see, I can see the, I understand a lot of the omissions. I understand a lot of the questionable uh, movies put on this list. This is the only one that shocked me because I only know about these guys because of the red shoes. Before this podcast, I never heard of A Matter of Life and Death. I had never heard of Colonel Blimp. But when we got to Colonel Blimp, I'm like, oh, those are the guys who did the red shoes. I just assumed until recently that it was on this list. I have no reason as to... I can't think of why it wouldn't be on this list. I keep checking the list because I think it's a problem with me and not the list. That (laughs) somehow I've misread it. Just like like we did with Nashville. (laughs) Right. Like that. Like, I have a history of misreading, so it must be me, clearly. But it's the not. The logical answer is, but it's not. It's not for some goddamn reason. One of the things is that it's, it's, it's a film that's so based in, like, the artistic process of this kind of duality of love, love of, in a, in a human kind of personal physical sense, and love and a occupation. What are you invested in? And one of my favorite little little exchanges ever in film is between Boris Lermontov and Vicky, the very beginning. And, and she's like, he's like, why do you want to dance ballet? He says, why do you want to live? And he says, I don't know. I just do. She's like, that's, that's why I like ballet. Mm-hmm. Like, that's why I like film. That's why I, I don't know why I do. It's just something so instinctual and the kind of conflict that that leads you into in your personal life and life in general. And that that's such kind of a serious and kind of there's this tragic story arc through the film, but it's dealt with such kind of this fantastical, mythical way that only Powell and Pressburger could do that. It just it's it's so much greater than like the sum of its parts that it's just it, it feels mythic in a very artistic way. Well, that, that, it, it does feel like a tragedy, especially towards the end. It feels like, it feels like a Greek tragedy almost. And I'm just amazed that something that tackles these, these large themes also has such personal, uh, personal conflicts to it all. There's a surprising amount of romance in this movie. Um, all the characters are just so lively at all times. You slowly get to know everyone in the ballet troupe, and by the end, you you have a much better understanding of all of them. Yeah, you're a part of the you're part of it. Yeah, and um, one of the most interesting things, and I still wonder to this day, um, about it is oh god, who's I gotta get the names again. 
It's Anton Walbrook. It's in the um the, the Mario Scoring. It yeah, Lermontov. So oh, Boris Lermontov. Yes, Boris Lermontov. One thing that I found interesting is that you know towards the end when they have Craster and Paige get together, and Lermontov learns about it, I still, at this point, after seeing it a week ago, I still am not sure if Lermontov is heartbroken at the idea that they're together or heartbroken at the idea that she is no longer 100% devoted to this production. Cause I don't think, I don't think it necessarily goes a hundred percent in either direction. No. And I think that's what's so great about. about it because especially towards the end where you have that question of, you know, like devotion to your craft or devotion to emotion it's still never really clear. I would say that the the only thing that when I first watched this, I wasn't as like enthusiastic as I as I was about it right now. Mm-hmm. And that was mostly because I felt that the choice that Vicky has, which is between her love and between ballet, mm-hmm. which she also loves, two loves of her life, I felt it was a uh, a false dichotomy that you can have both that there is room for love of both things mm-hmm. in your life. And two things, and I think that is true to a certain extent, but I think that, that the conflict there does ring true in a very basic sense. But at the same time, I also think that it's kind of, it's an old-fashioned kind of thing of where it was much more expected that, you know, you marry some, a woman marries and she is a housewife. Mm-hmm. That was back then. That was the kind of thing. And that was what it meant to be in a relationship with a man. And it, it partially a product of the time in that respect. But I do think there is a certain respect of where people in the, in the entertainment industry, in arts, you, you know, often have divorces. It's very common. Mm-hmm. And I think part of that is that you are torn. And I think that is, there is something, there is clearly a kernel of truth in the fact that a lot of people who get into this artistic process feel such kind of basic instinctual desire towards doing that, that it tears their, their life apart in other respects outside of that. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, you, you need, nowadays it's much different when it comes to finding a romantic relationship. And I think you, it is possible to do both. Kubrick did it. Paul Thomas Anderson. Yeah. He's, that being said, you still have to, like, yeah, there's no, something, you always will have to prioritize something over something else. Mm-hmm. You can't have, necessarily have the equally the same. Yeah, but. no, I agree. And this is, um, you know, a movie this reminded me of a lot, not necessarily in terms of presentation, but just the themes was Whiplash. Oh, yeah. Very similar ideas they're getting at in Whiplash here. I mean, obviously, they take completely different approaches, but... One thing that just I find so charming about these movies is I just love the dialogue in these movies. It feels so theatric. I mean, every aspect of these movies feel very theatric, but this one especially. It turned up everything to 11. Maybe it's because it's a theater-based story. Um, but God, the set design is so great and the costumes are so great and the, the dialogue feels like a stage play. It's just... It is... It's... The, the the 20 sequence the ballet sequence it is something that retroactively made me want to watch singing in the rain again 
Because when I watched Singing in the Rain, that was like the one thing I'm like, eh, do we need this? But then this this thing maybe turned me on to the idea of, okay, maybe it's maybe it was deserved. Although I I'm sure even it if with that retrospective adoration, the sequence in Singing in the Rain has nothing on this one because it is one of the most insane just visual splendors of anything I've ever seen. The 20 minute ballet sequence is, I think I could say without a doubt, one of the top 10 sequences in filmmaking ever. It is. It's partially because you watch it now and there's still so much filmmaking magic that's like, how did they do that Mm. with like what the technology they had and the matte painting, the fades, there's jump cuts that hide little little tiny little edits in there mm-hmm. that hide little magic tricks and there's it's just so watching it again and again i think this is the third time i've seen the film it's just so much fun every time it gets better because you notice little things of like wow they did that all the way back in 1948 yeah. it still holds up incredibly and you know it- it's one of those things that I didn't even know it was 20 minutes until I, I looked it up afterwards. It flies by. And usually moments like that don't. Like the one in Singing in the Rain does not fly by. It's annoying. But this one, <laughs> it's just I wanted more of that. And I thought that's what the whole movie is going to be. And I'm both surprised or uh, relieved and sad that it's not. But yeah, oh, can, this is just I, obviously, you know, like I said, the design, the cam work, beautiful. It's one of the most beautifully colored movies I've ever seen. Everywhere. I'm upset. When I talk with uh, Nathan, our cinematographer friend, um, he hasn't seen enough Technicolor films. Technicolor. He doesn't know exactly what I mean mm-hmm. when I say that. And I just love three-strip Technicolor. I think if anyone wants to know what, like, what's the difference between film and digital Mm -hmm. and how digital cannot yet recreate what film can do and the fact that three strip technicolor can't be recreated at all now because the process is gone it's gone yeah this is this is one of the great examples of that along with wizard of oz singing in the rain another great Mm -hmm. three strip technicolor films fantasia like this is the way that the film renders the colors in this film is so beautiful. They're rich. There's a richness to them and a vibrancy that is not available anymore. No. Kind of saddens me whenever I watch this. But, you know, don't cry because it's over. Smile because it happened. Sure. Yeah. Boris Lermontov, I think he is one of the, the great characters of cinema. And he is. Anton Walbrook gave a great performance in Life and Death at Colonel Blimp, but yeah. there's something so deliciously maniacal about this performance. Because he's not he's not a villain, but he is what you would call the villain yeah, if you had antagonist. to point a finger at someone. Yes. And but he's not, because he is the great thing about this film is there's no or Michael Powell and Emmerich Pressburger films in general, there's no antagonist. No. There's just conflicting wants. Yeah. And Vicky's conflicting wants are embodied by Craster and Lermontov. Mm-hmm. And they're not against our protagonist necessarily. They just want different things for her. And she doesn't know what to choose. Mm-hmm. And just the way that he, that Anton Walbrook plays the character is just 
it is endlessly entertaining to watch that performance. I think I think a huge reason as to why that is is because the introduction to Lermontov, you know, the, just hearing whispers about him through other people in the production, there's a, a mythic quality to him that when you actually see him up close and personally, you can tell that he's trying to preserve that mysticism as much as he can, but his humanity leaks through <laughs> and he tries to hide it. I find that, especially when he does or does not fall in love with Vicky, you can see that he's trying to deny that part of him, that part of him that he feels makes him, would make him lesser. He he sees himself as this giant genius and above everybody else, but if he acts like everybody else, he's afraid he's going to lose the grasp on that genius. And his, his, yeah, like the actor is just, he carries that smugness so well, but that smugness is so frail (laughs) or if he gets even the least bit flustered you're immediately reminded okay he's just a guy (laughs) no matter how good of a choreographer he is he's just a guy and he's not egotistical either there's a great little scene transition where uh the the old prima donna ballerina announces that she's getting married Mm-hmm. and he obviously takes this very badly because he doesn't think that people can he doesn't want his ballerina's attentions divided between the the ballet and love and he disappears from the scene and then it's a she says um that man has no heart and then it's a hard cut to to Lermontov just standing alone in a dark room and just a wonderfully moody expressionistic <laughs> scene transition of just explaining of how like how single-minded and how kind of controlling this man is, but also very vulnerable mm-hmm. and kind of lonely. And the film is off is about the creative process. And it often like it centers a lot on uh uh the main character, Victoria Page, but a lot of the creative process is more about Lermontov than it is about her. Mm-hmm. I'm just I'm shocked. The more and more we talk about it, I'm just shocked that it's not on here. You know, The Imitation of Life is on here, right? <laughs> a board of English people thought, nah, not the red shoes. <laughs> the Imitation of Life is fine, though. Yeah, let's put that on here. Why not? <laughs> Why not? Oh my God. And it's English, too. Come I on. would kill to watch this on the big screen in a, yeah. in a theater. Well, that's the thing. I is really want that. Another, you know, another champion of this movie is obviously scorsese who god i feel like every time he ever speaks about film you know not necessarily his own but just the art form in general he has to bring up the red shoes at least once so that's why i do regret not being able to get to the special features but i will get to them as soon as i can because i'm just so curious so it's just magic it's magic i want to know how the trick is done i think that like marty loves these filmmakers so much that's why he keeps going back to 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 Thelma Schoonmaker, mm-hmm. who's his editor, who is married to Michael Powell, and he just he just wants really? that little connection. Yeah, I didn't know that. Is he dead? He has to be dead, right? Yeah, he's dead. Okay, died back in nineteen ninety. Which one was the one who made Peeping Tom? Was that Powell or Pressburg? That was Powell. I just find it interesting that they have these <laughs> these art pieces and then Peeping Tom. <laughs> Maybe Powell was the the guy who snuck all this darkness into it, and Pressburger had to just be like, "Let's make it pretty." 
I think there's plenty more to say about the red shoes, but we may we may revisit this at some point. I would on the be podcast. down. I'd love to watch this so, again. Maybe later on. I think it. If I were to put it somewhere on this list, it'd be much higher up. Oh yeah. So I wouldn't put it above Blimp though. I think I love Blimp a little bit more. I think I I might like Blimp the most, but I think the red shoes is the more important. It is. The, no, the it is. Blimp is very personal. I think, but this is still wonderful. And I think on this on the BFI list, it's important to balance importance and influence, uh, influence and likability. Yeah, I agree. Which clearly the voters on this list were unable to balance influence and likability because they clearly went with influence more. Well, 